Good evening, and thank you for being here. I have to confess that I've been very, very nervous, even pacing around the house in anticipation of this moment. Um, the, the theme that I have been asked to speak on, at least in part because we are studying Vimalakirti, and this is the ongoing theme of Vimalakirti, is the non-dual. There is a moment in the sutra after all of the bodhisattvas have expressed their best understanding of non-duality, and after these long uh, soliloquies with examples and all about non-duality, Vimalakirti himself is invited to give a summary statement of some kind. <laughs> and in that moment, Vimalakirti remains silent. So for me, it's kind of radical to consider, to even imagine that I could say something about non-duality. <laughs> and yet, <laughs> I will try. You know, duality itself is kind of wired into us by our culture, by this society. I have heard that David Chadwick noticed more than once, Suzuki Roshi said something like, you know, y'all as Americans, you have it harder because this dualism is built into the culture in which everyone had grown up. So rather than imagining that I could say something about non-duality, I would like to make the effort to evoke or uncover or unmask or call forth the experience of non-dual. But even those words themselves, evoking, uncovering, unmasking, are indicating some kind of effort, effort, intentional effort maybe, I think part of what our training is, is allowing the non-dual to express itself without hindrance. And as, as Red Pine in his beautiful translation, without walls of the mind and thus without fear. I believe that this is what our seated meditation is uh, intended for, and therefore also our walking meditation, and therefore also our lives. This is what we're doing when we're coming from a place of practice, as Vimalakirti as speaking. So we're seated in our zazen, and just ever so slightly more active in our walking meditation, continuing that um, present moment awareness without judgment. And then we make the effort to carry the, this into our lives. And I would say that appropriate response 
arises very, very naturally when abiding in this um, non-judgmental present moment. There is a place in the, the sutra that we have been studying in which um, Manjushri is actually answering one of Vimalakirti's questions now. And uh, Vimalakirti has asked, what do you mean by that related to earthly desires? And Manjushri is now replying, in the same way, Buddha law can never grow in a person who has entered into correct understanding. Doesn't that sound contradictory to what we would think? But it can't grow there. It is only when living beings are in the midst of the mire of earthly activity that they turn to the Buddha law. And Manjushri continues, if you plant seeds in the sky, they will never grow. Only when you plant them in well-manured soil can they sprout and flourish. And a little bit later in that same part, from this you can understand <clears throat> that all the various earthly desires are the seeds of awakening. Let's see if I can uh, open this just a little bit. Language, language itself is really a problem. This is what I was nervous about. <laughs> um, for example, we have the word that comes repeatedly to us in the teachings, the word emptiness. And we think that emptiness means empty. But Catherine used to speak of it this way. Actually, it's empty of independent self-existence, therefore full of everything else. Emptiness means full of everything else. <laughs> and cause and you all at Upaya use the word boundlessness in place of emptiness for in some places. So language is really problematic because we get caught in a prescribed meaning. So similarly, non-dual does not mean one. It just means not two. So we've heard the word <clears throat> duality and non-duality Everybody here is an experienced practitioner. We've all heard these words for years. And these, they're concepts, really. They have a central role in Buddhist teaching. And one of the problems that we come up against in Western Zen is that um, the way we have the stream of Zen in which we uh, abide and we have inherited actually comes from multiple directions, multiple Buddhist and non-Buddhist traditions. And the, the word duality, non-duality, is not consistent in these traditions. So we have the perfection of wisdom, we have the Madhyamaka, we have the Yogacara, we have the influence of Confucianism, we have the influence of Taoism, all carried forward now through 
Japan and into the Western mind. So what I would like to do is kind of, again, evoke, rather than address this through a concept, bring it right down to our experience. I would say that uh, of major concern in our practice is uh, dealing with the relationship, uh, our relationship to experience, basically. How we perceive and what the mind does with that perception determines whether we suffer or not, basically. (laughs) And Buddhism will hold, and this is consistent actually throughout, that if we relate to our experience from the point of view of a fixed self, a fixed, non-changing, abiding self, then we're suffering. But if we can relate to our experience from the standpoint of no fixed self, uh, we are at ease. And it stands, it upholds, you know, it, it upholds. If we want to liberate ourselves and others from suffering, then, then we have to understand how we create and process what we experience. So we might hold, in typical Western thinking, we hold that there is a real object out there in the external world. It could be anything. But actually, it's a composite. Anything that we perceive or think we perceive is a composite of some raw sensory data and our own karmic propensities. Our own life experience informs what we can uh, make sense of. So when we can see, when we see what we call an object, we're actually literally seeing our own mind, seeing our own mind at work. An example I have given you before, uh, when this became clear to me, I'll use it as an example again, doing some construction work here in the garden. I was on a ladder and I looked down in the grass and I was sure that I saw a snake. And I had the entire visceral response that one would see being surprised by a large snake. My heart began to race. I was prepared to uh, move in a different direction. (laughs) But actually, when I took a second look, what I saw was my crowbar laying in the grass. But for that first moment, what I actually saw was a snake. So this is an example of taking raw sensory data and my karmic propensities seeing my own mind at work. So, uh, when we can catch the process of the mind at work, 
from within the mud, from within that uh, not root, not trying to find roots in the air, but trying to find the mind at work from within the mud, what we begin to see is that this awakeness or awareness, it's always under our feet. And I would say that this awakeness or awareness, the vastness of it, the boundlessness of it is very busy on a daily basis, actualizing itself through you, or even maybe more accurate, expressing itself as you. The whole works. The phrase we have in uh, modern times, zinki, the whole works, is showing up as the particular, and every particularity is fulfilling its function. Uh, Joan Sutherland uses a phrase that I find very touching. When I'm talking about every particularity fulfilling its function, what I mean is fulfilling its function not in a static way, but in the intricately moving and stable whole works. So Joan Sutherland's phrase, each one of us has an infinitesimal and essential part. The juxtaposition of infinitesimal and essential. I would assert, and I'll come back to this when we have conversation, I would assert that every single thing we chant, recite, uh, begin to memorize after a while, has a teaching in it about the non-dual. So I want to see if I can, I don't know if I can, I'll see if I can express this, uh, the Heart Sutra part that we hear very, very frequently about emptiness, and I want to talk about it as non-duality. Let's see if I can describe how I got there for you. Believing Catherine... uh, And it's also true to my experience that emptiness means empty of independent self-existence. I hold that to be true. And emptiness also means empty of subject-object duality. So in some ways, I think we can equate, it's synonymous, the non-dual as emptiness. So I want to work with the Heart Sutra phrase that we all will recognize. Form does not differ from emptiness. Emptiness does not differ from form. That all sounds very familiar to us. And the next line, of course, that which is form is emptiness, that which is emptiness form. The next line, I would actually like to dissect a little bit in order to underline 
the non-duality part. The next line says, the same is true of feelings, perceptions, formations, consciousness. We don't often unpack that phrase, the same is true. So I want to unpack it and use the word non-duality. We could say, that which is form is non-dual. That which is non-dual, form. That's another way of saying uh, the, the whole works is expressing itself as you. The non-dual expressing itself as form. Now, the same is true of, let's work with feelings. <clears throat> that which is feelings is non-dual. That which is non-dual is feelings. Further. That which is perceptions is non-dual. That which is non-dual is perception. That which is formation is non-dual. That which is non-dual is formation. That which is consciousness is non-dual. That which is non-dual is consciousness. So, what I'm trying to get at with this is that uh, if we hold it as delusion, as delusion, it is. Dualism is a delusion. Uh, Joan Sutherland's phrase, dualism is a trick of the mind. This trick of the mind has us believe that feelings, really, uh, perceptions, formations, consciousness, as objects, but no, that's just a trick of the mind. It's a delusion. Or we could say it's a superimposition. Uh, a superimposition of karmic propensities on the present moment experience. Um, Suzuki Roshi has said, uh, dualistic constructs, when he was making a commentary on Song of the Trusting Mind, we have that phrase, dualistic constructs do not abide, so take care not to pursue them. You, know, you remember that phrase. It says, dualistic construct is something extra we add to the experience. So, dualistic construct is creating a separation between subject and object. And that imagined separation is false. It's a delusion because we're not, in fact, separate. We're connected. Mm -hmm. So I believe that everything that we study has some teaching in it about this, every single chant. Song of the Trusting Mind. The way is perfect like vast space where nothing is lacking and nothing is extra. Indeed, it is due to our choosing or rejecting that we do not see this. And then it gives us very specific instructions. Live neither in entanglement with things nor passively in emptiness. 
be serene without striving activity and the oneness of things. And such erroneous views will disappear by themselves. This is another expression of uh, skillful means just reveals itself when we're able to free ourselves from this trick of the mind. We hear it also in Dogen's Fukan Zazengi. You know, I, w- I have always been very puzzled by this. So we're, we're taught, how do you think not thinking, non-thinking? This is itself the essential art of Zazen. This not thinking contrasted with non-thinking is a wonderful expression of allowing subject and object as concepts to dissipate. This is harder than I expected. In meditation practice, we're not aiming to have an experience of oneness. To put it another way, as I said earlier, uh, not two is not the same as one. It actually has more to do with how we create concepts or cognize or create constructs as objects. So the reason, part of why we sit zazen at all, the training of it, is to see reality as it is. There is an infinite variety of physical phenomena. And it's not our task to see the underlying oneness. Rather, it is the task of our training is the practice of non-duality. And that is the practice of noticing what it feels like to be mired, really, in this subject-object duality and to feel what it feels like when we are not um, constrained by the subject-object duality. It's not that it's going to go away. It just is no longer a constraint. A, A teacher named Paul Boyle talked about it this way. We experience non-duality only when we stop fabricating duality. That doesn't mean that non-duality exists and is prior to duality, or that somehow duality covers up the pre-existing non-duality. It just means we stop fabricating duality, and we're simply more available for the non-dual experience to arise. So my invitation to you, let's see if we can 
uh, unpack a few of these. My invitation to you, if you are willing, uh, anything that we have chanted, anything, some line that pops up, whatever pops up in your mind right now, is probably an expression of non-duality. Are you willing to share that? We hear, the way is perfect and all-pervading. How could it be contingent on practice and realization? Sounds familiar. Or we hear, all this, however, does not appear within perception because it is unconstructedness in stillness, it is immediate realization. If practice and realization were two things as it appears to an ordinary person, each could be recognized separately. But what can be met with recognition is not realization itself because realization is not reached by a deluded mind. I'm sure that sounds familiar to you. Everything we recite is a teaching of non-duality. Is any one of them pop into your mind? Ziggy. Filling a silver bowl with snow, hiding a heron in the moonlight, taken as similar, they're not the same. You know where they are. The meaning is not in the words, yet it responds to the inquiring impulse. Move and you are trapped, missing you doubt. The beauty of both and. Yes. It's so visual for me. Yeah. yeah. And you're an artist. Of course, it's going to express itself this way. Yeah, and you're, you're a poet. Of course, you will be touched by these evocative words. Yeah. Yes. Thank you, Ziggy. Patrick. Field far beyond form and emptiness. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. And then we wear that teaching. Yes. Thank you. Any other wants to be spoken at this time? Stan, and then I see you, Patrice. Go ahead, Stan. It's not from the sutras, but or, or the chance, but I just love life more than the meaning of it. <laughs> yes. Life itself. Thank you, Stan. Yes. And Patrice? Uh, what popped into my mind was the phrase phenomena exists like box and cover joining. Yeah. Principal yeah. accords like arrow points meeting. Thank you, Patrice. And I hope this is not a divergence. As a cabinet maker, I've made boxes. <laughs> when one makes a box, one makes a six-sided figure that's a solid figure and then cut it, and now you have a box and a lid. <laughs> what was one thing now appears to be two, but it's actually box and cover 
joining, right? It's principal accords like arrow points meeting. Thank you. Liz. I don't know if this one will fit. Um, stop talking and thinking and there is nothing you will not be able to know. <laughs> yes. You have just evoked Vimalakirti's silence, known as the lion's roar. Thank you. Kathy. Well, I'm not sure, uh, help me understand how this is an expression of non-duality, but I've just had in my head a lot recently, practice secretly working within like a fool, like an idiot. <laughs> help, 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 help me understand that this in, in, the, in the bouquet that you're constructing here with us. Here's how I feel it. The foolish part and like the conventional world would call us idiots. What are you doing sitting in silence? Why, what, what is this? This is foolish. And yet here is where the cultivation of the seed of the lotus, where it grows. <laughs> So the practicing secretly. Who cares what the conventional world would say? And how is that then the expression of um, non-duality? Mm. It, I feel it as because what we're doing is trusting our own experience rather than what the conventional world would tell us about our experience, something like that. Yeah, mm -hmm. thank you. We have Metta Sutta. Uh, One who achieves the way will be freed from the duality of birth and death. It's, that sounds contradictory, right? But we're not freed from birth and death. Here we are as living beings, we will die, but we're freed from the duality of it in the action of metta, in the action of loving kindness. There is a, a Meili Scott, also known as Meili Kushin Seisho, was the founder of Arcata Zen Group, and she wrote a um, wrote and presented um, what actually feels like a prayer to an interfaith gathering in Berkeley many years ago, and part of that is this: May I continually cultivate the ground of peace for myself and others, and persist mindful and dedicated to this work, independent of results. That's a little bit like, like a fool, like an idiot, independent of results, just living this. 
And then she continues, may I know that my peace and the world's peace are not separate, that our peace in the world is a result of our work for justice. It's a modern phrasing that we would all understand well. And here's something from Catherine in out of her grass writing. She says, in addition to watching the contents of our mind, we watch the nature of our mind, our mind objects and their flowing like the tide. Catherine is continuing. A student recently said, now I understand why it's important not to move. When you move, you don't find what you're moving away from. When you sit still, you experience what you want to avoid. And Catherine's comment about that. When you sit still, you experience the nature of mind as well as the objects of mind. Any other contributions from teachings you have heard? Nanette. I had to look for this because I really wanted, because it was like I couldn't find the words um, from the Ehekoso Hotsuganmon. Revering Buddhas and ancestors, we are one Buddha and one ancestor. Awakening Bodhi mind, we are one Bodhi mind. Mm because they extend their compassion to us freely and without limit, we're able to attain Buddhahood and let go of the attainment. Yes, thank you, Nanette. This is very similar to um, in Catherine's mountain seat ceremony, <clears throat> Galen Godwin, now in Texas, asked Catherine a question. And Galen stood, you have to see the hands because the hands are part of it. <laughs> Catherine stood in front of Galen. Catherine was up on the platform, Galen on the ground. And Galen said, to whom do we owe our attention? To the ancestors or to the future students? And Catherine went like this and she was holding a whisk, right? Buddhas and ancestors of old were as we, we in the future shall be Buddhas and ancestors. Awakening body mind, we are one body mind. Thank you. <clears throat> in Jijuyu Zanmai, all of this, however, does not appear within perception because it is unconstructedness in stillness, it is immediate realization. What can be met with recognition is not realization itself, because realization is not reached by a deluded mind. Evoking, uncovering, unmasking, calling forth the experience of the non-dual. This is what the ancestors have been offering us. Each, their culture, their tradition, they were speaking to their people in a way that that group of people could understand. They plant seeds for us in each and every one of those teachings. And yet we must 
ingest it and digest it (laughs) and make it our own. This is the actual experience of uh, the well-manured soil.